Hello, and welcome to The Clinical Compass, Finding Our Direction. Here we discuss new evidence-based findings on the current topics in medicine. My name is Dr. Benjamin Senor, and I'm joined here today by one of my senior faculty, Dr. Louis Karitsky. Hey, Dr. Karitsky, what's that slogan that you always tell me? Well, Ben, I try to apply it for myself and my colleagues. You need to know a lot about the things you need to know a lot about. And so I think that applies to heart failure. We see a lot of patients diagnosed with heart failure. And you've taught us residents that there are eight medications that we use in order to treat heart failure. Now the treatment regimen differs whether a patient has heart failure with reduced ejection fraction versus heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. That being said, SGLT2 inhibitors are used for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and now heart failure with preserved ejection fraction based on the Emperor Preserve trial that was recently published in 2021. What are your thoughts now about using an SGLT2 inhibitor for everybody who has heart failure? The most difficult question about the SGLT2 inhibitor is not if, but when. And the reason I say that, Ben, is all of our progressive forward steps in heart failure have been built upon the previous building blocks. So after we learned that ACE inhibitors or ARBs were beneficial for heart failure, we then learned that beta blockers were beneficial when added to the ACE or ARB. And then when we knew that ACE or ARB plus beta blocker was beneficial, we considered adding another medicine. We considered adding a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, spironolactone, but that was added to the ACE or the ARB and the beta blocker. And the situation is no different with SGLT2 inhibitors. Probably the most pertinent clinical trial to talk about is the trial called the Emperor Preserved. But before we talk about the specifics of that, let's take a step back and first of all, look at the limitations of our therapy for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, also called HFPEF. We don't have any prior medications that have been shown to reduce mortality in HFPEF. There's a subgroup analysis of a trial called the TOPCAT trial with spironolactone. There's hospitalization reduction in HFPEF with the use of candesartan. But other than that, our cupboard is fairly bare. From my experience, you usually have symptomatic treatment. You know, if they have leg swelling, if they have pulmonary edema, you'd use, you know, diuretics. And just to monitor their ins and outs and their daily weights, fluid restrict them. But usually it's symptomatic treatment. We didn't have any mortality outcomes for heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Except now we do, yes. thanks to the topic you brought up about SGLT2. And another point I'd like to bring to your attention, and Ben, I know you already know this, is that while symptomatic relief is important, I often begin the discussion about heart failure calling it the hemodynamic malignancy, because the mortality rate for heart failure approaches or surpasses that of most malignancies. Five-year mortality rates from the time of diagnosis of heart failure still approach approximately 50%. Wow. And so that's quite concerning to me. And yet, 
We go in and casually tell a patient or their family member, your grandmother has heart failure, and then talk about it calmly. We wouldn't calmly go in and say, your grandmother has cancer. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's return to your, your suggested discussion about the SGLT2. Remember that SGLT2 drugs were designed to reduce glucose in type 2 diabetics by means of blocking the reabsorption in it. In the uh, tubules. The proximal convoluted tubule, yes. Yes, exactly. And no one anticipated that the required cardiovascular outcomes trials mandated by the FDA since 2008 would uncover a high degree of success in reducing heart failure. This had never been seen with any other diabetes medications previously. When the results in multiple clinical trials showed that the cliflozins were repetitively associated with less risk for incident heart failure that was statistically significant, someone came up with the bright and brave idea of saying, well, you know what? We don't know why this is happening. It does not appear that the improvements in heart failure from SGLT2 agents are due to glucose reduction because they occur in a fairly flat relationship. It didn't appear that people who had the most glucose reduction from the the SGLT2 got the most heart failure benefit. So maybe it's not anything to do with glucose at all. If that's true, maybe we should try it in some non-diabetics, subsequent to which there were trials with SGLT2 inhibitors in mixed populations with HEFREF, showing that the reduction in heart failure incidents or improvements in heart failure were equally pro- productive in people with or without diabetes. And then our most recent trial, the Emperor Preserve, said, well, darn it, if it worked well in HEF-REF, we don't know why it worked. It certainly is not because of diuresis, because diuretics have been trialed for decades in heart failure and not been shown to improve outcomes other than symptoms, certainly not due to that. Someone wisely said, well, let's take the next step. We have little on our menu, as you already mentioned, to improve the status of HEF-PEF patients except symptomatic relief. And the emperor preserved has shown that SGLT2 inhibition improves outcomes in patients with HEF-PEF, not able to be surpassed by any other invention, intervention we have on the market today. Sounds like a serendipitous event. It was. That's but. usually how a lot of medications get started. Yeah. So now you, we can incorporate this medication based on the Emperor Preserve trial that SGLT2 inhibitors can be used for heart failure patients. Now, as we always say, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And I'm sure that there are side effects that all clinicians need to know about that can really impair uh, a patient's daily living. For all the flozins, the SGLT2 inhibitors, anything that clinicians need to watch out for? Well, the side effect profile in non-diabetics is not quite the same. Because remember, the concerning side effects of SGLT2, first of all, are uncommon, and more often are categorized as nuisance, with the exception of normal glycemic ketoacidosis, which we won't see in a non-diabetic, and hypotension or hypovolemia, which is most commonly demonstrated in diabetics because as you excrete each 
molecule of glucose and sodium, there's a large volume depletion, but that's not happening in non-diabetics because they're not excreting large volumes of sodium and glucose. So the side effect profile is actually more positive, favorable in the non-diabetics, like in the Emperor Preserve trial than in diabetics. That being said, we still have to be concerned about anything that alters glucose delivery to the lower genital urinary tract, especially in uncircumcised men. There can be an increased incidence of balanitis. For clinicians who have not seen balanitis often, it's important to recognize that it probably should rightfully be categorized as a nuisance infection. And that is, and I don't mean to be disrespectful that it's that any infection is, is minor, but we certainly know that vaginal yeast infections in women typically respond to simple steps like topical antifungals or systemic fluconazole. Balanitis in uncircumcised men responds exactly the same way. A single dose of fluconazole orally is usually sufficient to eradicate it. So the, the safety profile appears to be actually very, very favorable with a little less of the concerns that we have of the things that can develop in diabetics like hypotension and normal glycemic ketoacidosis and 40A's gangrene. I want to jump back to the point that you made about which one to start first. It's very difficult. You know, people that have heart failure can also have kidney disease. So they might not be able to start an ACE or an ARB right away. A beta blocker, their heart rate might be too low. What do you start first? If you're able to start an ACE or ARB or a beta blocker, or now an SGLT2, which one would you start first? Our data is based upon adding an SGLT2 to what's called GDMT, Guideline-Directed Medical Therapy. Now that doesn't mean that we have to wait until all of those medications are administered, especially because, as you talked about before, not everybody can afford to take all of those guideline-directed medical therapies. Certainly in the, situa in the situation of HEF-PEF, where we have no other approved therapies except the indication for spironolactone as a result of the TopCat trial, I think it would be the right place to start and I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not very good at predicting the future. I'm okay at predicting the past. But I predict that what's going to happen is there's not going to be any GFR restrictions in the future for SGLT use in heart failure. Because the restrictions that we currently have, people mistake what's listed as a contraindication below a threshold GFR of 30 or 45, depending upon the drug as meaning, oh, I'm going to hurt somebody. No, that's not the case. The reason SGLT2s have that limitation, quote, contraindication in diabetics, is because in order for the drug to be effective at spitting out glucose, you have to have a reasonable GFR, typically at least 30 or 45. We don't know the mechanism in heart failure. And conceivably, if you had renal insufficiency and the SGLT2 was accumulating, you could conceivably attain greater benefit than might have been seen at lower doses. So I look forward to someone better defining both the mechanism by which benefit is provided and giving us a little guidance about, since we're not looking for a renal excretory effect of the drug, might we then administer it without regard to GFR, since no toxicity has been demonstrated 
from the accumulation of SGLT2 inhibitors. So Dr. Koritsky, as you know, not everyone can afford medication. It's very tough to kind of push someone a medication onto somebody. They just simply can't afford. Now, as you mentioned in, in another podcast that we did, I think it is our duty to at least offer the medication to the patient. If it was my brother or my family member, I would at least have the opportunity to discuss with my family or close friends about the risks and benefits of taking an SGLT2 inhibitor if I had heart failure. What do you think would be the best approach to do that? I think it is easy for us to be insensitive to the consequences economically and the burden of what we prescribe. And I think you are wise to attend to this. Our listeners may be outside the state of Florida, and I don't know what your Medicaid formularies are, but the Florida Medicaid formulary does include an SGLT2 inhibitor. So that part of the population can possibly enjoy an SGLT2 inhibitor. Most Medicare programs also cover an SGLT2 inhibitor. So those patients have only a, a modest copay to pay. The difficult situation is for the uninsured. But I'm really glad you brought this topic up because I think people have a right to ask, how much cluck do I get for my buck? <laughs> if you tell me you're going to give me a drug and it's going to reduce my A1C from 7.5 to 7, am I going to feel better? Is it going to save my life? Is it going to keep me from having a heart attack? Well, not with any of the previous classes of drugs we've had prior to SGLT2s or GLP. So I could see where a patient would balk and say, well, all right, so you want me to pay three, four, five hundred $500 a month for this new drug and it's going to move my A1C, but it's not going to save my life and it might have some side effect. The storyline is a different one when we're talking about SGLT2 in HFPEF. This drug can save your life. So if I were to leave the room without a patient clearly understanding why I'm asking him or her to potentially shoulder the burden of this economic expenditure, then I would be remiss. And I, I don't blame patients for saying, you know, I'm willing to try to come up with a three or $400 per month to get some of these newer brand med medications that could save my life versus the nicety of having a slightly better A1C and maybe slightly better microvascular risk reduction. In summary, SGLT2 inhibitors now improve heart failure outcomes, not only in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, but in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Stay tuned on the next episode of the Clinical Compass, Finding Our Direction. opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect the views of UCF and HCA entities. The recommendations in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Please see your primary care physician for medical care regarding any advice heard in this podcast. I would like to disclose that Dr. Louis Koritsky is or has been a consultant for Lilly, Behringer Ingelheim, Nova Nordisk, Sanofi, and Bayer.